Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 17. Interesting story for us to consider today. Acts chapter 16 and Acts chapter 17. You notice I see a few people wearing the mask again this morning as you came in. I guess you saw that. Yeah, good old COVID continues to pop up in different ways around us. That old variant D, I think, I guess is the alphabet uh, letter. Is that correct? I think it is. Delta. Is it Delta? Okay, Delta, Delta. There you go, KD. Um, yep, it's starting to happen again. It's starting to come back. And yeah, I had a friend. You have a friend who went to the hospital last week, even though he had passed out and was nauseated and went back, was taken by ambulance to the emergency room, Ben Eubanks. Uh, he was taken by ambulance, went to the went to the hospital and was in the back there behind in the ER and was back there for a few minutes. They evaluated him and then sent him out to sit in the waiting area, even though he had passed out and had been nauseated. Huh? Now I'm not a doctor, obviously, but it just Makes sense. You would have that kind of situation under observation, I guess, uh, at least. Well, he almost passed out in the waiting area and got nauseated in the waiting area. And had there not been a helper right beside him with a trash can, I think they, might have, they may have called the custodian. Um, Kathy moved them in front of the nurse's desk as a reminder, please, please. Well, long story short, you and I were praying. Ben was sent back midnight they did a cat scan and what they thought would be a problem was not a problem ben was able to come home about one o'clock he was getting into his own bed and the prayers were answered ben was at peace and kathy were at, both of them are at peace thank god for that thank god for that but the point is this the mask and the hospitals are slammed again because of this variant they're slammed again. The reason they sent him out of the ER into the waiting area of the ER is because they didn't have any ER, ER emergency room beds. And they had no beds in the hospital because of this whatever we're dealing with, whatever we're dealing with. Some within our own congregation have been dealing with it. Some are here today after having missed recently. Uh, it's around us. Yeah, it's there. For sure it is. And I'm thankful to God that it's not wiping out everybody who tests positive, aren't you? Aren't we thankful to God for that? I've known, no kidding, I've known probably now 125 people who tested positive. And of that 125, I might count on one hand the numbers who graduated and went home to be with the Lord. Uh, so thank God. Thank, aren't we thankful for that? Because of the fact that we're again in the stage of thinking about wearing masks, the housewarming, the house commissioning dedication that we were going to do next week for Dr. Will Cunningham and for Larkin and their family has been postponed. It'll be rescheduled, but it's been postponed, so take that one off of your calendar and we'll let you know when to put it back on. Carter re referred to someone we lost this week. Caven Strickland passed away. His funeral will be today at 2 o'clock. Many of you have already prepared and will be part of the meal that the family will experience downstairs in just a few minutes at 1230. And I love that ministry of our church. I love it. 
how many thousands of chickens gave their life up for <laughs> the grief ministry of the First Baptist Church of Manchester? How many deviled eggs? How many thousands? I was thinking this morning, we probably, we, we drunk at least an Olympic-sized swimming pool of Georgia sweet tea in these things that we do, you know? Of course our prayers are for Sue. Oh, my goodness. What a wonderful wife she has been to Caven. 59 years, 364 days, they were married. The next day after Cayman's death would have been their 60th anniversary. Now just ponder that. They already had the shrimp for a low country boil, all ready to go when Cayman got sick. Of course our prayers are with them, and that's part of that community that Carter was talking about. In, in Romans chapter, chapter, chapter 12, we're told to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. It's part of what it means to belong to the body of Christ. There is more than just a simple empathy. There's a sympathy that we enjoy with one another. Acts, you look at it in Romans chapter 12 around verse 13, 14, 15, right in that area. We're told, we're instructed by Paul to rejoice with those who rejoice and to weep with those who weep. It's a part of what it means to belong to one another. Of course we pray for Ben Eubanks. Of course we pray for Sue Strickland and all their family as they now enter into the valley of the shadow. Uh, they've been watching it. It's been like an impending storm now for a few weeks, months, even a couple of years, really. Um, and now the storm has hit, and now they're in the valley. You will be there. I will be there today at 2 o'clock. You will be there if you can. You'll be there at least to let Sue know that her life and his life meant something to you. But there are others. Billy Barnes is much in my thoughts and prayers during this day. And others like them. We've got quite a few others that we want to remember in our prayers. Uh, continue to remember Ella Jones, 12-year-old, down at the hospital. Actually, the hospital up in Scottish Rite in Atlanta. She's the one that was in that golf cart accident a month ago now, five weeks ago. Uh, Leslie Swetnam Jones, her daughter. Uh, on and on the list goes. We've got others. So would you please, let's all blend our hearts and thank you for the privilege, the awesome privilege of being able to share a pastoral prayer with each other. Let's pray together. Let's do that now. Father, Lord, we thank you that you've given us a community of faith, people who know how to bring us to you. Thank you for giving us, Lord, these men and women who become brothers and sisters. And no matter how long we are apart, it's amazing that when we come together, Lord, it's just like we pick up where we left off. Young and old, Father, we relate to one another because of Jesus Christ. And Lord, in this dark day, around us we know we have the light we have the light to shine and shine brightly and the darker it gets the brighter the light so lord give us the ability to let that light shine and may we have the spirit of jesus christ as we go about doing good give us the courage lord to stand up and give us the wisdom to know when we should thank you god thank you for the fellowship of the saints the fellowship that is there when we're soaring high and is there with us when we're weeping low. Thank you, God. So we lift up Sue to you and the children and the grandchildren and the great-grandchildren. We ask you, Lord, to be with them 
every time they think of their beloved father. Thank you, God. Thank you for Caven Strickland and his life in our community. So, Lord, bless those whose names are mentioned and those who remain silent. Continue to do what you do, Lord, and may you empower us to let your radiance live through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. That's exactly what Paul is doing in Acts chapter 16 and 17. 16 is a horrible chapter. Paul is under the gun. I mean to tell you, there uh, he's threatened of his life. You look there in Acts chapter 16. I love telling the narrative of this story. It's uh, amazing. Paul was doing the same thing in chapter 17 that many of you have done during this summer. You went on vacation. Paul was taking some rest and re recreation time away from the grindstone. And he was in the town of Athens, Greece, which is a great tourist capital, of, one of the tourist capitals of the world. Paul was there watching the sights, doing the same thing you did on vacation. He was going to the tourist traps and just enjoying a time of rest, vacation, away from it all. Uh, chapter 16 was a difficult chapter for sure. Uh, chapter 16, you look there, look how hard it was. Verses 19, look and see how in chapter 16, verse 20, Paul was arrested. He was wrongfully arrested because of his faith. They actually arrested him because of his faith. Now imagine that. Imagine that. Not too stretch of an imagination to imagine in our day and age because we have unfortunately watched uh, the news and we've watched people who lost their lives because of their faith. So it's not a stretch at all for us to understand that. That happens in this kind of world we live in. Paul was arrested, arrested because of his faith. Look there at verse, chapter 16, verse 20. Keep on going. Verse 23 through 24. He was beaten while he was imprisoned. Acts chapter 16, verse 23, 24. And that while he was in prison in shackles, an earthquake happened. And isn't, that, isn't that the case? Murphy's Law, when it's going bad, it gets even worse. Paul was in shackles when an earthquake, typical for the Middle East, an earthquake shook the jail cell where he was. And imagine an earthquake and you're handcuffed and you can't get around, you can't run for cover. Imagine what that must have been like. I was sad to see where more than 200 people were killed in Haiti this week with an earthquake and our prayers go out to their families as well. He was beaten, he was going through an earthquake, it was a scary time. Look in chapter 17, verse 1. It's a mixed blessings of sword. He goes into Thessalonica. And then look at verses 5 and 6. People are moved by envy. Uh, and they want to eradicate uh, Paul. A religious mob takes place outside of Jason's house. Look at the whole story. A religious mob. Can there be any worse mob than a religious mob? Uh, men never do evil so completely, so, so completely and cheerfully as when they do it for religious reasons. Did you get that, Blaise Pascal? Men never do evil so completely and cheerfully than when they do it for religious reasons. The capital of Afghanistan failed this week. Dark, dark, dark all around us. Can it get any worse than a religious mob? Verse 10, Paul and Silas are sent away by night. Verse 12, uh, not more than a few people are about to lynch the Apostle Paul. Verse 13, the Jews came to Berea and stirred up the people for religious reasons. Verse 14, they sneaked Paul and Silas away by sea and they brought Paul to Athens. 
chance. They had to bring him there. He couldn't go on his own merit, his own strength, simply because he was exhausted. So there he is on vacation, R&R. He's been in conflict, and now he gets away from the battle line, and he's just there on vacation, seeing the sights and the sounds. Acropolis, seeing the temple of Mars Hill, on and on the other places there that you could see in Athens, Greece. He goes to the temple of Zeus, goes to the Agora, a marketplace, goes to a spa, goes to an athletic event, maybe an Olympic event, you never know. And after all he'd been through, our rest and, rest and relaxation was to be expected and it was welcome. You need a vacation and so do we on a regular basis. That's the Apostle Paul. And then he comes, look at verse 16. Chapter 17, verse 16. As he's walking around Athens, look at verse 16. His spirit was stirred within him when he saw the city wholly given to idolatry. His spirit was stirred. You ever had your spirit stirred by God? Oh yeah. I have mine stirred every day. <laughs> stirred by God it seems like. I hope it's the spirit of God that's stirring my spirit on occasion. I know there's a debate about that. Sometimes it is. Sometimes it's just the fact that I had Mexican food last night for dinner. <laughs> but Paul's spirit was stirred. You ever had your, your spirit stirred by God? Yeah, I think we all have. Any sensitive disciple, every sensitive disciple I've ever been, been around, young or old, it doesn't matter. There are just some things you see in life and you kind of go, now wait just a minute. There are things that go on and you say, well, that's enough of that. Your spirit gets stirred by God. Paul, was he saw the idols of Athens on every corner. There was an idol everywhere. There was an idol, idol, idol. And his spirit was stirred. 1993, Pam and I went to Las Vegas. For the Southern Baptist Convention. What? 1993, we went to... I didn't drop a quarter, not one. Las Vegas, yeah, my spirit was stirred. Let me tell you one thing, if you ever have someone tell you what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas, that, need to, that needs to wake up your spirit. Shameful. My spirit was stirred in Las Vegas. Decadent. Jimmy Waters, preacher in middle Georgia, was the one who coined the phrase, and I still like it. If God was ever going to drill a hole to hell, he'd put the drill bit down in Las Vegas. I was family. Come on, please. My spirit was stirred. still is stirred. still is stirred by that type of stuff. Paul was, his spirit was stirred. He was seeing all what was going on in Athens, and he's sitting there going, this is not right. This isn't, this, this isn't the way it's supposed to be. The same, my spirit gets stirred every day. I'm watching what's going on in the world around me, and I'm going, really? Are you kidding me? My grandfather and grandmothers. I know they're, they're on like a, a spit over a barbecue spinning in the grave. 
spinning, spinning, spinning. They can't believe what's happened to this world that we're living in. Can't believe it. I mean, you're sitting there going, really? The greatest generation, my goodness, I've been saying this now for 15, 20 years. No kidding, I bet I've buried 200 people from the greatest generation. And everyone that I've buried, every time I see them lowered in the ground, my heart is stirred. My spirit is stirred. They, it's almost like they were the defenders of all that is good. And they're dying. And I even mentioned it. It was at least 10, 15 years ago I mentioned it. It dawned on me. My goodness, the defenders are leaving us and we're left on our own defense. I stir it. My fear, my spirit stirred. Uh, look, look at the story. Keep reading. Look at verse 22. Acts 17, 22. Look there, please. Read with me on this. Stay with me on this now, please. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. Listen to his temperament. The Apostle Paul was called by the Areopagus elite. They were the elitist of Athens. They were the intelligentsia of Athens. Uh, they were the ones who were self-appointed in many ways. And if you were a leader of the Areopagus, oh my goodness, that meant you had an amazing IQ. IQ and you could figure out any type of, of, of philosophical issue that would ever come up. The leaders of the Areopagus, they were like the Supreme Court. You were appointed for life once you made it to the Areopagus. And the Apostle Paul had ventured to share some of his opinions to the point that the elite of Athens, which think about it, the elite of Athens, wanted to talk to Paul, wanted to hear from Paul his opinion on some of these matters. The elites would gather together and drink coffee and just sit around and talk. And they would sit there and be philosophers for the community, and they would settle a lot of the issues. Look how Paul is. Again, verse 22, I see that in every way you're very religious. Whereas I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, very religious. I even found an altar with the inscription, to an unknown God. Now, what you worship as something unknown, I'm going to proclaim to you who that is. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. Verse 25. And remember, the temples in Athens were all built by hands. Verse 25, 25 he, has not, he has not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. For, from one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth and he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. God is sovereign. Do you hear what he's saying there? Sometimes we forget that. Keep going, verse 27. God did, did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from each one of us, for in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring 
Paul knew their poets. Now, how about that? He used their authors as an illustration. Hmm. I'm impressed. Verse 29, Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, any image made by man's design or skill. It just knocked down every statue in Athens. Think about it. <laughs> Politely. Verse 30, In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. To repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. Next sentence, critical verse. He has given us proof of all this to all men by raising him from the dead. Well, the elite set up straight, warning signs, flags, fireworks started going off. Wait just a minute. Raising from the dead. Look what they did. Look at verse 32. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered. And others said, we want to hear you again on this subject. Give us more detail. At that, Paul left the council. A few became followers of Paul and believed. Among them was Dionysius, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. It's that little resurrection thing that gets scientists really in a boil. You know what I mean? The idea, just the idea. That Cayman Strickland could be walking the streets of Golden Heaven this morning just as beyond what anybody on the face of the earth would be able to comprehend, except for the believers. Cayman celebrated more than 80 Easter's for a reason. You ever had any pushback from people at work because you're a Christian? You ever ever have any pushback? People make fun. They call Paul a, a babbler. They make fun of him. They call him a babbler. You ever had any pushback? Uh, maybe it was somebody in the neighborhood. Could it have been that civic club you belong to? Could it have been at school? Oh, pray for our students. Our students go back into it this week or just started back and there's some that will be going into it next week and next month. There'll be some traveling all over the southeast and beyond. Going to school to get educated at school. And if you're a Christian and people find out you're a Christian, guess what? You get pushback. They call you a babbler. You ought to be a preacher. <laughs> Baptist preacher, a Southern Baptist preacher. You don't mind pushback. Cry me a river. Pushback is a way of life. Yeah, they called him a babbler. Look at verse 18. Anybody ever called you a babbler? You ever been put on the spot like Paul was put on the spot? Paul was at the Areopagus, walked out on the center stage. Somebody turned on the microphone, and there was probably some feedback till they got it correct. Mm. Spotlight. Hey, Babel, let me ask you some questions. You ever had that happen? I've known some godly people, some godly students, on Christian campuses, no less, 
who were called babblers. Their spirit was stirred. Hey, preacher, what does the Bible say about dinosaurs and the universe? A uh, preacher, uh, what about evolution? Six days? Come on, preacher, really. Preacher, do you really believe that Jesus could walk on water or he's a virgin, was born of a virgin? Oh, uh, preacher, what's God going to do about ISIS? Preacher, if God is so good, why did 200 people die in Haiti yesterday? Oh, they love to throw that curveball. Have you ever been called out? Was it a member of your family? Was it Christmas or Thanksgiving? You're the one who stopped the gathering to say, folks, I think we ought to say the blessing. Would it be all right if we could say the blessing? And somebody back there behind somebody else, you heard them snicker. <laughs> you heard them laugh. Because how dare you interrupt Turkey? Say a blessing? What are you, a fanatic? Who are you, a preacher? Have you ever been called out because of your faith? Anybody ever called you a babbler? What are disciples supposed to do in that moment of truth? What are we supposed to do? Right now, the world's begging us to say something. My spirit's stirred every day. Some of you see it on Facebook. You wonder, what am I going to say next? And what I, and I, 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 please understand my motive. It really, truly is, promise you, I promise you, my motive is to say a good word, a positive Oh, I get criticized. Oh, my goodness, do I get criticized? A lot of times it's messages that come to me that you don't know about. I, I feel my spirit stirred all the time. The good of what God has done in our world is being bruised, beat up, demeaned. And rather than being as argumentative as a young Lynn Strosher would have been, oh my goodness. Oh, Pam will tell you, Pam doesn't like it. She wants me not to do anything like that. So I back off. Because I know you're watching. And not only that, I know that there's a lot of people watching out there who are not believers. And therefore I try my best when my spirit is stirred to do what Paul did. Notice his attitude and his spirit. You've got to notice that. Look there at verse 24. Look at verse 23, 24. Look at, look at how polite he was. He wasn't demeaning or demanding. He wasn't bossy. He wasn't arrogant. He wasn't presuming he had the right to say anything. Look at the points the Apostle Paul made. Verse 24, God is the creator of the universe. The God that you worship called the unknown God. The Apostle Paul used an illustration that everybody at the Areopagus would know exactly where that unknown God is. Paul said, I know who that is. He's the God of the universe. Verse 24, look at the last. He's the ruler of all nations. 
He's pretty important. Verse 26 through 28, he's the sustainer of life. Positive, positive, upbeat. Verse 29, he's the father of us all. In verse 30, he wants to be the savior of the world. I bet Paul, when he said that, kind of winked. He wanted them to know that God was on their side. Verse 31, he will someday judge all the world by that man whom he ordained, given assurance unto all men. He raised him from the dead. Oh, that right there, just threw all the scientists at the Oreopagus into a, it, it threw them into a, a tailspin. Oh my goodness. We can handle everything theological, but when it comes to being scientific, Paul, there is no way religion and science can mesh. No way can somebody be brought back from the dead. Are you kidding me, Paul? It stopped the whole conversation. God, the creator of the universe. Verse 24. I like this little... I, listen to this prose. He was just a little lad, and on the week's first day, was wandering home from Sunday school and dawdling along the way. He scuffed his shoes into the grass and found a caterpillar. He found a fluffy milkweed pot and blew out all the filler. A bird's nest in a tree o'erhead, so wisely placed and high, was just another wonder caught by his eager eye. A neighbor watched his zigzag course and hailed him from the lawn, asked him where he'd been that day and what was going on. He said, oh, I've been to Sunday school. He carefully turned aside and found a snail beneath it. I've learned a lot about God. Hmm, a very fine way, the neighbor said, for a boy to spend his time. If you'll tell me where God is, I'll give you a brand new dime. Quick as a flash, an answer came, nor were his accents faint. I'll give you a dollar, mister, if you'll tell me where God ain't. You just got to have eyes to see. Remember a Native American Indian was with some of his friends and they were walking in a busy street in New York City. Traffic, loud noise, so loud your ears would ring. And all of a sudden, the Native American just stopped, paused. He stopped. And he said, he looked around, he stopped. He said, y'all hear that? And his buddy said, hear what? We can't hear anything. The sirens and the car noise and beep beeps. What's going on? Hear anything. Now listen, listen, listen. I hear a cricket. Do what? I hear a cricket. And he walked over to a planter. And he pulled back some leaves. And sure enough, there was a cricket. Do you have ears to hear the voice of God when his spirit stirs your soul? Do you have ears to hear? Reverend Andy Alley said this, There is no God. All of the wonders around us are accidental. 
No mighty hand made a thousand billion stars. They made themselves. No power keeps them on their steady course. The earth spins itself to keep the oceans from falling off toward the sun. Infants teach themselves to cry when they're hungry or hurt. A small flower invented itself so that we could extract digitalists for sick hearts. The earth gave itself day and night, tilted itself so that we get seasons. Without the magnetic poles, man would be unable to navigate the trackless oceans of water and air, but they just grew there on their own. How about the sugar thermostat in the pancreas? It maintains a level of sugar in the blood sufficient for energy. Without it, all of us would fall into a coma and die. Why does snow sit on a mountaintop waiting for the warm spring sun to melt it at just the right time for the young crops and farms below to drink? A very lovely accident. The human heart will beat for 70 or 80 years without faltering. How does it get sufficient rest between beats? A kidney will filter, filter poison from the blood and leave good things alone. How does it know from one or the other? Who gave the human tongue flexibility to form words and a brain to understand them, but denied it all to the animals? Who showed us a womb, how to take the love of two persons and keep splitting a tiny oven until it, in time a baby would have the proper number of fingers and eyes and ears and hair in the right places and come into the world when it is strong enough to sustain life? Yes, there is no God. Really? <laughs> really? <sighs> really? He's ruler of all the nations. He's the sustainer of life. He's the father of us all. He wants to be your savior. He will someday judge the world. And he was raised from the dead. Straight to the point. Meat and potatoes. Black and white. You can't get much more simple than that, now can you? Yeah, when those people come up to me and they give me, hey, preacher, I got a question. Earthquake in Haiti. If God is so good, every time I get one of those questions, you know what I know. That person is avoiding the personal questions. They're avoiding it by giving us something off track. They're giving us some question out there that really doesn't have an answer. What they want to do is, it's called, it's called diversion. Rather than dealing with the issues that God has already put on your heart and in your brain, you and I create a diversion so we can get the speaker off topic. And then we can go on down our world. The world's doing it all the time. The diversion. The diversion. Oh, COVID. The diversion. The diversion. Yeah, I've known over 100 people. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. Thank God. It's only been five. And thank God alone. Yes, yes, don't you misunderstand that, please. It's sad that those five died. It's incredibly sad that they died. It's bitter that they died. Yes, it is. But, but for those who knew the Lord, bittersweet. 
told Sue yesterday, Sue, bittersweet, bitter, the void in the Strickland home. After 60 years of faithfulness, after 60 years of good, I think the number was 14 great-grandchildren. <laughs> 14 great-grandchildren? You need a picture book to keep up with all those names. And they got together on a regular basis. I told Sue, I said, Sue, better. Sweet. Sweet. Don't you cry a single tear for Caban. He's fine. Sue, cry for you and for your family as you make these awkward adjustments now from the valley. Yeah, they beg us to answer these ridiculous questions. If God is good, then why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. The bigger question is, what are you going to do about the invitation that he's given you? What are you going to do about that? Are you going to, the Apostle Paul, notice, 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 after Paul, it looks like it was a total failure, doesn't it? Except for a few people who gave their life to Christ. Uh, you didn't see a, 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 a you didn't see a Billy Graham type invitation where hundreds of people came forward and gave their life to Christ. Your job and my job, when we get that pushed back, our job is just to faithfully share what we know. And you can only do that. You haven't got to contrive it. You haven't got to in any way preach it. All you just got to do is say, "This is what I know," because the Bible told me so. Jesus loves me. This I know. That's all you got to do. And leave the rest of it in God's hands. Oh, those same ones who always give me those, you know, those unbelievable, unanswerable questions. Guess what? <laughs> you know what I find to be true. Often when they go through the valley of the shadow of death, even though they have been critical of my faith, guess what? They call me because they know I'm a man of prayer. And I bury their loved ones often. And believe it or not, once they go through the valley of the shadow of death, they want to know how to spell the word resurrection. They want me to talk about eternal life. They want you and me to talk about larger issues, personal issues. They want us to use the word repent. They want us to help them understand forgiveness and restoration. They, they want us to do that. They want to have the joy that you have, even in the midst of the darkest world that you and I have had to endure. And of course you know this isn't the darkest world that Christianity has ever had to go through. Of course you know that, right? So, so take courage. You and I, we have the ability, and I think honestly, folks, right now, right now, I think the world's desperately asking us to share something. So follow me on Facebook. I'll try my best to be faithful, and I'll try to have the right attitude and right spirit, and I'll get criticized, and I'll get condemned, and I'll get ridiculed. But it's okay. It's okay. It's not a big deal. I'm just giving witness of what I know to be true exactly what Cave and Strickland's family wants me to say today. And I will. George Budrick, former chaplain at Harvard and also a wonderful Presbyterian preacher, he actually taught at Southern Baptist Seminary when I was there back in the days when it was 
Southern Baptist Seminary. George Buttrick was a chaplain at Harvard University, and he recalls that students would come to his office and plop down in a chair and declare as if they were being some type of elitist, I don't believe in God anymore. Buttrick, rather than you know, sounding the alarm, he would give this disarming reply. Well, sit down and tell me what kind of God you don't believe in because I probably don't believe in that God either. And then he would spend the rest of the hour correcting their understanding about God by sharing the story of Jesus Christ. Yeah, at the end of the story there in Acts chapter 17, verse 34, the typical elites, verse 32, when they had heard about the resurrection of the dead, some of them sneered, but others said, I want to hear a little bit more. Help me understand this, Paul. Could there be one of those here today, by chance? Uh, Lynn, I want to hear a little bit more of this story. You got a minute? I got a minute. I got an afternoon, I got a day. We'll go to the funeral together, and after that, if you want to talk the rest of the day and night, we'll talk the day and night. If you want to talk about Jesus Christ, I got all day and all night and all week. Let's do it. You want to do that? I'm all game, all in. I'll tell you what I know. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Pray with me, please. Father, give us ears to hear and eyes to see. Give us a heart that is open to your leadership, Lord. May we follow. May we follow you, God. May we do as you lead us to do, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Our hymn of invitation today. Look in your book. Our hymn of invitation today is hymn number, Tom. 300. Without him, I could do nothing. John 15, 5. Without him. Without him, life would be meaningless, doesn't have any purpose, has no direction, has no color. Without him, there is no adventure. No adventure without God? Come on. Without him, we can do nothing. John 15, 5. If God is lead, leading you to make a decision with your life, today is a perfect day for that. If you want to know more about Jesus Christ, come on, let's talk. I look forward to talking to you for the rest of life. You come on, we can do that.